All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Halfway through Positive Friday on the Jason Greger Show on Sports 1440, your place for sports. And uh, we're expanding. We have uh, more sports coverage coming uh, Likely by the end of the month. Also, and uh, hey, we got some new signs that came in. Nice. Uh, the uh, Ewell Studios, as you see, a nice little Ewell behind us. Nice. So, you know, things are coming every day. A few new little, uh, little uh, additions to the show. I like it. Like it a lot. Gregor Show is always brought to you by PlayAlberta.ca, where... Yesterday. So I had the Giants game, and then they just they eliminated that game. And so uh, we won because we picked Tampa to defeat Baltimore and we had uh, Philly over the Vikings. So, uh, and Addison with the uh, over 42 and a half yards. So nice. Need to get on the board. Got to make some money for the kids at uh, Kidsport. We do a $20 wager. And Hey, by the way, shout out to uh, Steve who, uh, who came in with the, uh, he felt that Tampa was a good one. Steve, the kids owe you. I like it. So uh, any of you have one that you're, uh, you're high on text in to, 833-401-1440. And uh, you could help the kids. So, I like it. Hey, Greg's, uh, why are you doing cons dirty like that? Having three solid running backs, 12-team leagues, a massive challenge with how many running back by committees there are in today's NFL. Uh, yeah, well, think of So that would be 36. And if there's 32 teams, right, lots of teams have two. At least you should have somebody. Like, like cons by sounds, but has nobody. He's, he doesn't even know his team right well, now. Like, I can't believe this. How do you not know your team? I'm a casual until it matters. You know, week oh, one, week two. God, when, it's when embarrassing. You, when you go to the finals in both your leagues, you know, for so long, you just you oh, don't worry until it matters, you know? So, uh, ETN, Madison. Uh, I like ETN. That's a good pick. I've got Jamal Williams. See, he was my guy for four weeks. 
Because when Kamara comes back, that's when I'll get Jonathan Taylor back. And in my perfect utopia of fantasy football okay, world, why, why, everyone's why, happy. Why does Kamara, what does that have to do with Jonathan Taylor? Jamal Williams in New Orleans. So I have Jamal Williams for the first four weeks. Oh, and then, and then when Ta- Kamara comes oh, back, I, I slip Jamal right. out and I put Jonathan oh, Taylor in. Oh, because you're assuming Taylor's by then going to be playing? Yeah, and he'll regain his, his form from you two think, years ago. And, you think in two weeks he's going to be playing? Well, you got to believe. you got to <laughs> believe in something. Yeah, well, there you go. Hey, that's true. Without faith, what do you have? What do you have? I know our next guest. Uh, um, I, I think he has a, a lot of faith. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not sure. If, uh, faith. Faith in his uh, his hockey team. Yeah. Uh, faith in his uh, his businesses. As sure. We welcome in our uh, Friday uh, co-host Wanye Gretz from uh, Orders Nation. Wanye, Thank you, you very much. There was a lot of positive reinforcement last week. People said that was funny. I was listening the radio station. I could find it on the AM dial. It all worked great. So I'm back. Any complaints? I'm out. <laughs> Too thin-skinned. Yeah? Yeah. And, well, do you want me to read the I text I can't line? take any criticism whatsoever. I'm oh. warning you in advance. Not this sh- early in the season. Oh, okay. Early in the training camp. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah? Okay. So, Well, but if you're still in training camp, then you just you got to learn from your mistakes. I guess. I'm thin-skinned. I'm warning yeah. you right now. All right. Yeah. Oh. I can ignore people on the internet. You just don't look at your phone. But when, you, when you're when here and you hear it, people are ta- well, calling think, you. Well, you know what? If we get bad texts, I just won't read them. Well, that's good. Yeah, I just won't read them to you. Like Connor and I will share sure, them. Sure, and you'll and, giggle. Yeah, But exactly. I don't have to play along. Yeah, you know. That's you perfect. You'll be like, what are you guys laughing at? We'll yeah. be like, oh, nothing, just this video of dogs. Yeah, completely unrelated. Playing with cats. I'm floored that we're talking to the hitman today. Like, I am not qualified to speak to a man of this legendary status. Did you now? Were you a wrestling guy growing up? No, and not Stampede either. Like this is just going to be like you never watched wrestling, not to any great degree. Really? Not but really. you obviously know who the Hitman is. I know who he is. I know that Jeez. the Hitman are named after him, though. How I know him you, in a hockey context. Like a guy who's so much into fantasy, how could you not like wrestling? I'm floored by this. I don't know. It just really wasn't. It's got wrestling's gotten a lot bigger in the past twenty years. You have to admit, like when we were little kids, I didn't find like. It was on quite well. Stampede much. Wrestling is what I grew up on, and then when I was, we moved into Duke because obviously growing up in the farm, we didn't have cables. So right. I didn't. I remember moving to the Duke, and I probably was about twelve when I realized wrestling used to come on at midnight on Saturdays on CBS. And so, but you know, I was by thirteen, and there'd be the odd time where I'd say I was going to bed, and then my parents would go upstairs, and I would sneak out and I would watch wrestling. And maybe it was eleven o'clock or midnight. Somebody out there probably knows. And I remember that's when I saw the Ultimate Warrior. And the Ultimate Warrior became like my favorite wrestler. Like his entrance when he's coming to the ring, he's just going, he's sprinting in there, he's going bananas, he's shaking the ropes all the time, and his face painted. God, I loved him. Like I like wrestling was like I knew that it wasn't real, right? Like, but it didn't bother me. Like I was like that, but I didn't probably I was naive enough to know like how much of it wasn't real because Stampede Wrestling when I first watched it, I was like, oh. my like those bastards, like some of the, like the Cuban assassin, I hate him at first because he was such a cheater. And as a kid, what do your parents tell you? Like, you don't cheat. And the Cubans assassins, he's pulling out something out of his green pants, right? And Ed Whalen's losing his marbles. And that's what, like, that's what made it so good was Ed Whalen on Stampede. Like he would get so mad and it would make you believe that he was literally that upset. It was amazing. 
Real though, I don't like that argument. Like that's basically dis- it's scri- so yeah, dismissive. It's scripted. That's right. It's scripted. The actual moves yeah. are all real. Like when guys are flying off the turnbuckle, they're flipping over the shoulder, body slams. Like that stuff's legit. Do I think that Robert Downey Jr. is actually Iron Man? No, but I can still be entertained by the movie. It's yeah, still yeah. quality work, right? I don't think that the argument wrestling isn't real. Yeah. I don't find that scripted valid. is a much better. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's very fair. It still takes an enormous amount oh, of athletic talent. Dude. They still take a beating. They still get injured yeah. all the time. Yeah, right. If it was like CGI and they wouldn't suffer these horrific injuries yeah the biggest difference in wrestling was early on it was 90 percent wrestling five to ten percent on the mic right but that's really evolved now now i'll be honest i don't watch today's wrestling as much so somebody out there or cons i don't know if they watch it like is it as much on the mic like the rock came in and stone cold steve austin and like those guys would sometimes spend 10 15 minutes on the mic and like that was the entertainment which is totally fine and, uh, you know, that's what made The Rock a massive movie star because he had such charisma and yeah. such personality. And obviously the guy's a freak of nature. Like he's in shape all the time and he's eating eight pounds of fish every day and everything healthy and that's fine. But, yeah, it'll be unique to have the uh, the hitman Unbelievable. on. Unbelievable. He's, he's had quite the career. And he was on The Simpsons. And, again, not very cool, but that really impresses me. Like if you've been on The Simpsons. Oh, dude, that means you've made it. Yeah, you have made it. Right? Like, yeah. I, I, Well, we will talk to because I've never actually – because uh, the one thing, and I know we've had people texting, we're not talking about Jim McMahon because that's being discussed a million times over. So we're not going to do it, right? Um, you can Google th- hundreds of interviews online with Brett talking about the screw job. Everybody knows what happened. He's voiced his opinion on. I don't want. I don't want to bring him on and ask him about it again because I just don't think that we're not going to learn anything new. I'm nodding, but I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, the, the big screw the job, the screwdriver. Of course, that incident. Yes, yes, that was rather. Um, oh dear, it was rather big. Um, so like, but like, been on Simpsons. That's, that's it. like, I can't believe that you just weren't a big Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man fan. Like, cause you like to roll around with your chains cool. you know, with dollar signs Gangster. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's probably somebody that speaks to me. It just wasn't really a thing when I was little. Yeah. I don't know. That's all right. Because yeah. now there is one thing, cause I always like the listeners to get to know who are our co-hosts a little sure. bit outside of their sports takes of and course. stuff. And, uh, what people might not know is that uh, Wanye is a massive rap fan. That's true. Like, huge rap fan. Yeah. So, like, who's who's your top few rap artists? Of all time? Yeah. Well, we were talking about this the other day. I think if you're Canadian especially, you have to say at this point that Drake is the number one rapper of all time. And it is incredibly unlikely for someone to go from Degrassi <laughs> to being the number one anything. Yeah. Of, remember Joey Jeremiah and his band? Joey, yeah. Joey Imagine that had turned into Metallica. Like, that's how <laughs> unlikely Drake being an amazing rapper is. And yet he's kept it real and he still shouts out Degrassi. He recently did a video where he brought all the Degrassi people back. Yeah. Present day. Remember Snake? Yes. Snake is and, in a Drake video. And Wheels? Wheels, I don't know where he was. He oh, was too big there? of a deal or they oh, couldn't actually, find him. Now, I, did, maybe I'm wrong. Someone t- I thought Wheels passed away. Oh, I could dear. be wrong on that. I got to look that up. Well, okay. Because so, I, I know one of the members died. For well, sure. Pat Mastri- Mastriani, I believe, yeah. is, is still with, with us. But that's a gangster play to not to own your story so much that you recreate Degrassi for a video for all your fans around the world who didn't know you started out as wheelchair. Yeah, Jimmy. Neil Hope was his name, and I was correct. He and yes, passed? he did pass away. So, so that's yeah. got to be my top rapper. I don't know, Gregor. I know that you're familiar at least with what the what the streets are listening to these days. You could see the value of putting Drake at number one over, say, like a Jay Z or somebody like that that's not Canadian. Yeah, see, it's funny. Like, I guess like the rap that I grew up to, Drake's songs are very different. For me, like he's almost more like R and B a little bit for me than like, you know, when I think of rap, I'm like, I'm going way back, like, you know, 
NWA and yeah. and those type of, 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 of bands and stuff, of groups, I should say, right? The Beastie Boys and different things like that. So very different genre. Like, it's, well, the same, but it's just evolved, right? Like, country music 40, 30 years ago is different than country music today. They it's just had a big... Music. This is the yeah. 50th year of hip-hop, if you can yeah. believe it, this year. Oh, it's amazing. And when it originally came out, it, they didn't expect it to last very long. They thought it was going to be a phase, and then it, 50 years later, it's still the most popular genre of music in the world. That's amazing. So if you could go to one artist in concert... Well, I was really lucky. I got to go to a concert. It was the 15th anniversary of the Source Awards in New York. And the Source Awards were crazy. There was a fight originally. It was this huge thing. And they brought everybody back together years later. And they say it's one of the top rap concerts ever. Snoop Dogg was there with everybody from the West Coast. Puff Daddy was there with everybody from the East Coast. And I probably saw 40 or 50 different rap artists perform. Yeah, in one show. And it was back in Madison Square Gardens in New York as like an anniversary of the Source Awards. And when I left there, like I went to New York to see this concert solo. That's how much I love rap. When I left, everybody was like, that's probably the best concert any of us are ever going to see. And we were all nodding on their way out just because Dr. Dre had just sold to Apple. He sold his headphones company for billions of dollars. He's there. Eminem's there. Everybody was there. It was phenomenal. So that's the best rap concert of all time. And I don't expect to break it ever. Was there anybody in the concert that blew your mind? Puff Daddy. Oh, Puff Daddy's cool. He, he was supposed is. to come to Edmonton yeah. and he didn't get across the border and he <laughs> said he'd be back and he never came back. So if you want to go see Puff Daddy, you got to go to the States. That was a real, right. real bucket list for me. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, when we, we will get to a lot of hockey talk. Don't worry. I Don't just like worry. a little introduction. But when yeah. we return, Brett the Hitman Hart, live on Sports 1440, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Brett, the Hitman Heart, is our big guest of the day today, brought to you by the Spruce Grove Saints. Uh, they dropped the puck in another season tonight. You can get your tickets at sprucegrovesaints.ca. And this is an absolute, like, we've had a lot of big name athletes on the show over the years, but I got to tell you, this is, uh, this is a real treat for me because I grew up a huge fan of Stampede Wrestling, uh, watching with my, my dad and my brother. But really, when my grandfather was the one who I never saw watch TV, but Saturdays, he would sit in his chair and he would turn on Stampede Wrestling. And I was just like, now this is legit. Even grandpa's watching Stampede Wrestling on Saturday afternoons. Uh, Brett, uh, thank you so much for joining us. How you doing? I'm doing great. Doing excellent. Having a great, having a great summer. Oh well, that's awesome, Brett. We were, we're really thrilled to have you, Jason Greger, alongside uh, Wanya Gretz. And um, you know, I really want to start going back because you know, for me, like where I remember Bret Hart first, of course, was all those matches against the Dynamite Kid in, in Stampede Wrestling. And you know, like you, you were you were born into a wrestling family. Lots of your brothers were wrestling. Obviously, your dad Stu it was huge. And so, did you like? Was this always destined for you? Because I know you were taking filmmaking studies for a bit, but was wrestling something that always just that was the pull you had in your life? and that's what you wanted to do always? Yeah, I, I didn't necessarily even want to do it always. I, it was, um, but I do think it was something I was destined for. Like, I just don't think I realized it. I think, I really think um, I watched a lot of wrestling as a kid. And I think by the time I became a teenager, without realizing it, I think I'd fully studied and understood professional wrestling Best of all, I under from understood it from a, being a fan, like from what I liked about wrestling, okay. um, about how I liked wrestling to be my wrestling to always pretend to be real. Anyway, it was always, uh, you know, I think that was what made wrestling 
um, especially fun in those days was uh, that it always pretended to be so real. Even Ed Whalen, who would poke <laughs> fun at it all the way through the show, but at the same time, when there were serious things happening, he was as upset as uh, you know as anybody. He, you know, he he played it very real. Oh, he used to freak out at the Cuban assassin all the time from pulling something out of his pants. I was dying. It was so awesome. But so when you grew up, like, who were your wrestling idols that you watched and you were like, okay, that's the wrestling I like? Oh, for sure. The guys that stood out in my mind were, were the bad guys that wrestled for my dad through the, uh, through the seventies and the, I guess the sixties, um, you know, Archie, the stomper Goldie, who's somebody they kind of forget. And, yeah. and and no one kind of rates him that much anymore. And maybe rightfully so, but in reality, you know, he was so good up here in Calgary. I don't think anyone realized anywhere else how good Archie the Stomper was and what an amazing, unbelievable villain he was. And what a, what a talker. You know, he was one of those guys that, unfortunately, I don't think he was very smart. And he, he didn't... Um, he didn't um, like cutting interviews in the States, so he always hired somebody else to be his manager. He always, always, uh, the only thing he was famous for in the States was being the Mongolian stuff, yeah. where he didn't talk. But in Calgary, where he was basically from up here, he would talk, and he was such a masterful talker. I, I, I would put him right up there with Steve Austin or somebody. He was such a great talker, way ahead of his time, and just so serious. But Abdullah the Butcher was another guy that people don't rate much today. But what a what a villain and what a, an amazing athlete and wrestler back you know when he was working for my dad. Anyway, I can remember him dropping elbow drops and <clears throat> doing stuff in the ring that uh you know he was like as agile as a cat and he was such an amazing villain and he was so scary. I don't think any wrestler or any, there's no wrestler that comes to mind, not Andre the Giant, nobody that was as scary as Abdul the Butcher was. And, you know, I just, um, you know, I really appreciated some of the great, you know, the great workers that my dad had. Dynamite Kid was a great wrestler. Yeah. And like you said, uh, if you got a chance to watch him uh, growing up and you got to watch one of the, one of the real trendsetter, the guy that really changed the business and turned and, and uh, Made it a better, made it a better business. Brett, the Hitman Hart joins us. So, Brett, you're in Stampede Wrestling. I think you were there for for eight or nine years, and then you moved on uh, uh, to WWE, which is now, of course, WWF. Uh, talk about that transition for you. Was it was it an easy move? Was it difficult, or was that just you had to go there because you know wrestling was growing so much in the U.S. and obviously Vince McMahon and what they did, they they took it to kind of a new level. Well, no, I think, uh, to be honest, that, um, you know, I worked for my dad six years, and when my dad was, you know, I think my dad was ahead of his time in a lot of ways. I think the whole Stampede Wrestling, if you really look at it, is Monday Night Raw. You know, it's uh, three hours on Monday Night Raw, but the whole idea of a live telecast with live interviews and interspersed with wrestling matches. Yeah. That's Stampede Wrestling in an hour format. Yeah, it's true. And that's what Vince did for Monday Night Raw. He brought live wrestling with the, you know, with the whole format. That was really just three hours of Stampede Wrestling, and uh, that's the was the key. And uh, you know, Vince is a really smart uh, ahead of his time promoter too. But Stampede Wrestling was um, really special. Um, I really think when the British Bulldogs went to uh, WWF back in um, nineteen eighty six. I think R85, I guess it would have been around WrestleMania, right after WrestleMania 1. 
you know, they really changed. If you watch the, just watch WrestleMania one and watch how they wrestled, and then you watch how they wrestled at WrestleMania two, you can see such a difference in the wrestlers. How the move, the move, they're moving so much faster, and the speed and the the, the impact and the the, just the style of wrestling changes so much. And that's the British Bulldogs and that's uh, Dynamite Kid, uh, especially really uh, lit a fire under everybody down there and kind of got everybody moving a lot faster. All the, even guys like Hogan had to pick it up a little bit because the Bulldogs would go on first and just blow the whole building away with some of the stuff they would do. Yeah. And it's like nobody would top it. It didn't matter who went out there after that. And it was like, after a while, it was like, you just saw all these wrestlers working way harder and going way faster. And instead of sitting in there in these holds for long stretches of time, like they used to back in those old days, you know, you saw these guys picking it up and start moving. And that's kind of, if you watch wrestling through the, uh, in my opinion, through the, you know, the, through the, all through the eighties and the old WWF period, it goes a little faster all the time. Wrestling starts to move a little faster and I think the Bulldogs had a lot to do with that. And I think um, I had a lot to do with that. My brother Owen had a lot to do with that. And, you know, so on all the way down the line, I think we had a lot to do with the whole way wrestling's going today. You know, the fact that they're moving so fast and moving so, um, you know, so much in the ring these days. Brett, the hitman heart joins us. So, Brett, take me back. Like, you know, there's Davy Boy Smith and the Dynamite Kid and, and, you know, Jim the Anvil Nightheart and Brett Hart. Like, were you guys just training all the time together behind the scenes that all of you were just making each other better? Like, how many hours, like, how did, to become, like, one of the best in the world, like, how did you, how did you improve your skill set so much? Well, you know, you the Stampede Wrestling really was a family business. That was my dad's business. And uh, he eventually sold his business to WWF uh, or to Vince McMahon, which he never got paid for. But the deal was made, and I was part of that deal. So I got signed on. Um, the truth is I, I, I worked really hard for my dad. I was uh, not the most colorful guy. I don't think I fully um, had my confidence about myself. I didn't think of myself as a superstar uh, world-class wrestling, pro wrestler yet. <clears throat> Although I think I was, mostly because I, I was able to sharpen up. Dynamite Kid was basically my um, you know, my dance partner for almost six years in, in Stampede Wrestling. and uh, So I really was a really skilled wrestler in my own right. And it just took me a little while to get my break. You know, the Bulldogs had a big break way before me, uh, which is just timing. They had the big break when they first came to WWF. And uh, unfortunately, Dynamite got injured and then, you know, whatever happened to them. I think Davey, unfortunately, was always more of a tag team guy with uh, Dynamite. And I, I don't know that <clears throat> singles were always his uh, cup of tea, but for me, uh, I did six years with Jimmy Anvil and, uh, you know, I really... Um, I loved the days I had with Jimmy and the Nightheart. We had so much fun together, and he was such a great partner and such a great friend. And we had so many great moments and funny, funny memories. And uh, like every day, I can stop and think about something funny with Jim Nightheart. But he just such he was such a great character and such a great friend. That you know, I I, I really loved those years that I was with Jim. They're really special for me. And um, you know, I think I just started eventually becoming a big enough star that it was time for me to go by myself. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know how, um, you know, uh, 
say that like there was I was a really it was a big star when I became world champion and uh, at the height of my fame and stuff. But it seems today there's even a, a deeper sort of um, recognition and appreciation for not just the way I wrestled, but just the way the old Stampede wrestling wrestlers worked, like Dynamite and and, and so many others. But we just uh, and Jim and Davey and and Owen, and we all. Brought a lot of, I think you, you know, when you watch wrestling today and you see all these wrestlers doing those, and they slap their leg and kick each other and stuff. That's that's my brother Owen started all that stuff. I wish he never had. But it was just like, you know, we had such an influence on where the business is today um, that, um, you know, I think even my dad is really proud and I'm proud and uh, I'm sure Owen is. Um, just what kind of um, influence we left in the, in, on, a, on, a, on a profession that uh, we did love. So, Brett, you mentioned how, you know, the, the Bulldogs got their break right away and, and you kind of had to wait for yours and then you built up. And, like, you went from being a, a great star to, like, one of the superstars in W. Like, you were one of the most well-known wrestlers, very successful. Was there a moment that was your breakout moment or was it just a progressive climb for you? You know, it was it was a little bit of both. I mean, uh, I think on the sly or like inside the, the dressing room, a lot of the wrestlers would have told you a long time ago that I was the best in the world, that I was the best. Like, they all liked watching me the most. Uh, like Macho Man and guys that really counted always uh, praised my work and wished they could work with me. And, uh, you know, I just was... I, I had a lot of praise as a work worker way before uh, I got the world title, but the thought was that I was never what I got always painted with was this that I I couldn't didn't have any box office that I couldn't sell tickets and I couldn't draw money and uh, which was never fair never true. Um, I used to always go, it's not really. They never put me in a situation where I really had any kind of momentum or had any kind of. Um, um, empathy or sympathy or anything is especially as a baby face and uh, anyway I think I proved that theory wrong and it just took a little while but winning the world title really was the stamp on it that was like when I could officially say to all my critics and all my uh, naysayers and people that didn't think I was good enough or you know they didn't believe in me or a lot of guys didn't think I was good enough and uh, you know it's like you know, I, all I can say is that today I think you can look back on almost every match, going even going back to Stampede Wrestling, and uh, you know I never had a bad match. I never had a stink out match where it's like, "Geez, that was terrible," or everything looks really bad. I, I mean, I always, whenever I see almost anything that I that I did, and especially in WWF, I mean, <clears throat> TV matches, um, four minute match on a Saturday afternoon, and you forgot all about that. 30, 40 years ago or 50 years ago. You know, they're, they're really good. We were always good. We were always really tight. I really prided myself on uh, just looking as believable, making people believe it was real. You know, right to the, giving somebody a finger in the front row and all that stuff. I was very intense and very... In a, in a, in a shows. I mean, I remember days fighting our way back to the dressing room and going, holy crap, that was... Really, I'm really mad tonight. You know, and it was like... It was such a fun job to be a great bad guy, and uh, and we had so much fun being great bad guys that uh, it was almost scary at times fighting our way back to the dressing room in the early uh, WWF days. It was it was we earned our stripes as bad guys for sure, and uh, 
you know, being a good guy was a whole different thing once I, I became a good guy. Um, you know, I was really fortunate that I I was always seen as somebody that was, even as a bad guy, I was seen as somebody that was cool. So then as a good guy, I became cool. And, you know, I ended up building a fan base with kids that were quite young and that they grew up, uh, you know, grew up all their lives and uh, were forever fans of mine. Like that. I was privileged to have a lot of kids let me be, be their hero for their whole lifetime. And, uh, you know, so I had a big, a big footprint on a lot of, you know, influenced a lot of young men and women and the young young people that uh, really loved me and loved what I stood for. And so, I, you know, I took a lot of pride in that and I sort of understood that and appreciated that. So I always try to be a good hero and uh, represent myself well and represent Canada well. And, you know, I think all of that's paid off. I think I, the fact that I cared so much about my matches and the fact that I cared so much about my fans has never, never been uh, lost on me. The bester is the bester was the best wherever there ever will be. Did you come up with that? Like, where did that evolve from? Because it's such a classic line. Like when we mentioned that Brett the Hitman Hart was coming on, like I don't know how many texts we got just with that quote and nothing else. So, you know, who is the genius of that? And then, secondly, the sharpshooter. Um. Well, the the, the first one was um, came from the natural, the, the Robert Redford baseball movie. Okay. Uh, they used to use the line in that, and uh, but I remember using that line with Jim and the Anvil Nightheart on, uh, I think it was a TNT Vince McMahon sort of Johnny Carson type show where he, he used to interview the wrestlers. And uh, yeah. it was one of the first things I ever blurted out of my head. I was really, in those days, you have to understand, I was so nervous around Vince McMahon. He was the kind of guy that... Every time I think he looked at me, I think he always, he would always look at me and go, oh, yeah, I forgot to fire that guy yesterday. You know, I just didn't think I was going to last very long. And I never liked Vince looking at me for very long because I, I just was very – I just thought I was on thin ice with him all the time. So, anyway, to go on to that TV show with Vince and being on that show, I was quite nervous. And I remember I blurted it out somewhere in there because I'd watched that movie. And uh and it stuck. It was stuck as first as a team, as a model for the Heart Foundation, and then later on, uh, it became more of a um, 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 uh, something that was said to me a lot of times in the dressing room. And it was got to be kind of like a joking thing in the dressing room. But the, over the years, it got to be something that was taken quite serious in the sense that you know I had a lot of wrestlers come up to me and go, "I have to have a good match with you." And with almost like really like fear in their eyes that they don't want to be the one to go out there to have the first bad match with Bret Hart. And I would always tell them not to worry about it. That we'd have a really good match. And there were some guys that were so nervous. And then we'd go out and have a great match and they'd be they'd come back and and feel like I saved their jobs or something. It was like, oh, you know, it's, I just always wanted always to have good matches with most everybody I worked with. So, I mean, I just know a lot of guys really relied on me and trusted me and uh, and believed in me. And, you know, I started to get a reputation for being a guy that was really, most of all, I think the most important thing I can tell you about my wrestling that I was, was always really safe. I, I never heard one wrestler seriously in any kind of way ever in my whole career, which is... Um, unbelievable when you watch all my wrestling matches back they're like uh, car crashes and uh, um, I'm unfortunately a lot of the times the car being crashed but um, you know I, I had great matches and uh, I, I 
stand by my body of work of wrestling as being the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Nobody will talk about it. Uh, Brett Hart joined us. Uh, I love it. Now, Brett, do you have a match that you felt was your best match? Um, I got a, yeah, I got one. I think it was my, I, well, I have kind of different categories. Um, I'll give you how I describe it. My, my best match, um, might have been the one with Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13 for the reason that it was just such a great story okay. and a great, and it came all, it came off so well. We had such great chemistry in our, Basically, our two characters switched places in, in, at the end of the By the beginning of the match, the end of the match, we were like two different people. And uh, really hard to do. It was a big challenge to try to pull that off. And we, when I look back on it, I think that's why we look back on it with such pride today. Is we go, we, that's what we tried to do, and it worked so brilliantly. It was like I became a hated guy after that, and Steve Austin became the, the hero. And it really was a huge... Um, you know, amazing flip flop, and uh, but, uh, the match itself is just a masterpiece. Of um, there's not one move in that wrestling match that you would want to take out. Everything builds and builds and builds to the ending, and it's just a masterpiece. And uh, I, I love that match. But the Shawn Michaels Iron Man match, um, hardest match I ever had. I mean, it was an hour of a guy that was in phenomenal shape and, and a great wrestler that was going 100 miles an hour and was doing everything in his power to outshine me and uh, and run circles around me if possible. And uh, it never happened. I We ran circles around each other, but it was, uh, it was, uh, it was two wrestlers that were not necessarily, they were, weren't trying to make each other. They were two wrestlers that were competing with each other on a, in a in a in a very sort of hidden sort of under underneath struggle and it's a beautiful match. I mean, it's two guys that really gave their best for sixty minutes, and uh, I, I stand by any match that I've seen. I don't know that anybody ever put more on the table that day than Sean and I, and uh, so that's a great match. And then uh, you know, there's so many other ones like um, my brother Owen at WrestleMania Ten, just for the for the just the, the moment, you know, to, to wrestle uh, Owen at Madison Square Garden, just to be in the dressing room with him before the match, thinking about walking out there and uh, doing this match. And, uh, you know, the funny thing about Owen's and my story is that, you know, I, as a kid, I used to always draw these pretend wrestling magazines, and I always always draw Owen as the one bad heart brother. And, <laughs> He was always my, you know, always not necessarily fighting me, but he was the one brother that had whiskers and was kind of always in a fight uh, with one of my other brothers. And anyway, it was just always funny because he used to read my magazines and he used to kind of love being the one bad brother. <laughs> and so here we were doing it in Madison Square Garden. It was always such a funny thing. He'd always go, just like those magazines he used to draw, you know, and we used to kind of laugh and it was like, it was like sort of our childhood sort of imaginations playing out in real life. Here we are in uh, Madison Square Garden getting ready to walk out. And, you know, we had such a great match. But on top of that now, just I, I could, couldn't say without saying it, is that, uh, like, um, the match I had with the British Bulldog in Wembley Stadium with yeah. 82,000 people. Again, the match and the, and the, the crowd and the... It's hard to talk that. That was such a beautiful moment. Even though I lost... Yeah, you know, I was always a storyteller, and that match is one of my favorite matches. 
that's one of my matches that paved the way for the rest of my career. I don't believe I would have won the world title if I hadn't had that match with the British Bulldog and, and SummerSlam in 92. And the fact that there was so many people came and it was, a, you know, if you watch that match, it's a beautiful thing just to watch the crowd. Like nobody leaves the building or the stadium. It's 82,000 people riveted to every single move. And you know it. And it's just a beautiful thing. And we gave him such a beautiful match. And, uh, you know, like I said, I could just go on. I have a lot of great matches that I, that I really was really proud of. I think one of the most amazing things was when you went on The Simpsons and bought Mr. Burns' mansion. That was a highlight for me as a Bret Hart fan. That was a great, great moment. It was, again, it, was, it seemed like it was fitting. You know, it was like... I was the right guy to do that. How did that come to be? How did you come to be on The Simpsons? That's such an amazing thing to do. You know, it's funny. I became friends with uh, one of the one of the casting people on the on the show, and I kept trying to get on the show for for a while because I was a big fan of the show, and I was becoming more I was becoming more a little more famous all the time. And uh, anyway, they finally came up came back with me and said, "Hey, we got a part for a wrestler." It's the Mad Viking or something like that, and uh, and we want you to play the Mad Viking. And I, I said, can I can I be myself? Like uh, I wanted to be myself. And they said, no, you're just the Mad Viking. And so I remember I didn't want to do it. And finally, they I kept trying to get them to draw me in as my my hitman character. And then they finally said that we we're just going to do this Mad Viking thing and take it or leave it. And I, so I said, I'll do it. All right, I'll take it. <laughs> So I flew all the way down to, to uh, Los Angeles and uh, Fox uh, Studios and all that um, and did the show. And it took me about, you know, I had like three or four lines or five lines and I was in a little sound room. And anyway, that part of it took just a few minutes and all of a sudden I was done. And I said, I'm, and, uh, and then my limo had already left and gone to get gas or something. So they, I had to wait at the, at the Fox studio. And so I was just sitting there. This is right after I fought uh, Shawn Michaels in the Ironman match. So I was kind of stepping away from things and wouldn't be back for a while anyway. But uh, anyway, I just remember this huge line showed up like while I was there, sitting there. And all of a sudden, they came out of the woodwork at Fox Studios, where was maybe, a, I'm not exaggerating, I was saying, maybe a couple hundred people showed up with all the stuff they wanted me to sign, like pictures and sign <laughs> action figures and toys and stuff. And I, I was signing stuff. And I remember the, the guy that just did the whole show with me, he came up to me and he goes, I can't believe who you are and how many people are here. And he goes, I'm totally going to go and I'm going to protest and make sure that they draw you in as yourself, as your wrestling character. So that's why when you watch that Simpsons episode, it doesn't sound like me sometimes. So people go, is that you? It's like, it's me being the bad Viking. That's why I, it doesn't really sound like me. And it, in fact, it is me. But uh, anyway, they changed it and drew me in as my wrestling character, which is always why it made it so much, such a big thing for me. Um, so it was, it was a, one of those um, things where, um, you know, I remember, you know, I've met a lot of celebrities and stuff that sometimes when came to sign and stuff, they're not the nicest people in the world. But for me, that day at Fox Studios, I mean, I had no problem signing all kinds of stuff for all kinds of people. And I think it paid off being a nice guy that day. So anyway, this goes back to my whole system of belief on things that it pays off being a good guy. Oh, unless you're a wrestler, then you like to be the bad guy. 
Yeah, unless you're a Canadian bad guy, which means you can do anything you want. Well, your line telling Mr. Burns it's going to take a while to get the old man stink out of his mansion has to be one of the top lines of the whole show, and it's been around now for a hundred years itself. So, congratulations. Well, it was it was a, a big honor. That was one of probably one of those things that may outlive my wrestling career. Is, is, is that one moment on Simpsons. One last one for you, Brett, and I really appreciate your time. As somebody who was, you know, on the inside and you watch wrestling, you've seen it evolve, and you talked about how the speed has evolved. And, and you know what? Uh, you know, when I was a kid in, in Stampede Wrestling, there was stuff on the mic, but not nearly as much as there is now, right? Like now it's as much about being a great wrestler. You probably got to have a pretty good personality. You definitely need some mic skills. How do you see the industry and, and where it is right now? Are you, are you really proud of where it is? You're pretty confident that it's, you know, cause it keeps growing and, and growing, you know, like there's a new wave of wrestlers. And I'll be honest, I don't follow it as much as I did when I was younger. No question. But uh, what do you make of today's wrestling and, and where it's at? You know, I, I don't, I, it's hard to answer that. I mean, I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more like you. I have, I like the, the old wrestling better. I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I like a lot of wrestlers today. Um, I think there's a lot of fantastic um, performers out there. Um, great athletes, great performers. You know, I'm still a big Brock Lesnar fan. I'm uh, Roman Reigns is a, is a great wrestler. Uh, CM Punk, what he's been doing even now with AEW, I don't sure if he's. I guess he's just left there now. But I mean, he's another guy. There's so many great wrestlers out there that. Um, working for different companies and stuff it's just you know it's remarkable how many different styles and Rey Mysterio is still going you know which yeah. is I think a beautiful thing to watch you know with, you know so I, I'm I'm still a fan in a lot of ways but um, from an art form standpoint um, I like the wrestling uh, from a few I like the 90s is the best the, all the 90s is uh, way more um just seems more um, less um, scripted. Yeah, you know, just seem more natural. I like to watch it and feel natural. Like when you know, going back to the Stomper and Stampede Wrestling and Ed Whalen, like he used to scream into the microphone and you get goosebumps up your neck, back to your neck, and get shivers down your back when he was talking. But he was only talking about the match next week and stuff. It was never. Um, it was bone chilling stuff, you know, like it was seemed real. Like it was always like, you know, and then I think in boxers like Muhammad Ali and guys and the guys talking was such a big part of boxing and wrestling. The wrestling was always a little different and boxing always kind of played off that too. Cause they kind of did it their way too. But, uh, wrestling, uh, you know, the promos, that was something that's been altered now to what it is today. And you're seeing it, um, you know, I think the biggest curse that ever happened in wrestling is probably the writers and people like that that uh, are not wrestlers. I think wrestling should always be dictated by wrestlers. Um, it's better that way. These wrestlers are going there, and you can't have people imagine what wrestlers do or moves and stuff. So it just doesn't work like that. You have to be wrestling is something that um, is a performance art, and uh, we, you know, for years I'll say this about wrestling is that. They never got credit for being great actors, and they never got credit for being, um, you know, great athletes. And in fact, they were both. And uh, you know, I think that's lost on people. And uh, I, I think when I watch a lot of my old matches back, where I, you know, I go to my Hitman Bar and once a week, and I'll watch some of the wrestling on the walls and stuff there. And it's like 
you know, I like watching it because it, it just looks more real. Like it looks yeah. more, doesn't look so, oh, I got to stand here for like, oh, I see this in wrestling where, you know, 10 guys are out on the floor and, and one guy hits the ropes and dives over the top like bowling pins and knocks 10 guys down. You know, when you see it over and over and over and over and over, it's like, okay, what's well, stop being, it's like, I'm so sick of that spot. Like, stop doing it. Yeah. Now it's part of wrestling. It's like chops. You got to do one of those every night. And uh, I don't know. I just never, there's there's a wrestling fan in me that um, grew up watching wrestling. And I wouldn't watch the stuff today as much as uh, I would watch the old stuff. I mean, it just it was more fun to watch. I even, uh, I've said this before, but I find it more fun to watch the old AWA wrestling out of, um, I think it's on one of the TSN or yeah. the sports channel. Okay. But anyway, it's, I find it, like when I watch it, and I, you know, I'd have to be riveted to paying attention to when I'm watching it sort of making breakfast in the morning or something. It's always like, I kind of like the way we used to be, the way it just tried to be more real. Yeah. And today it's just gotten away from where it's like it just looks so pretend compared to what, uh, you know, I don't find it as entertaining that way. I mean, the great, the best pro wrestling always has to pretend to be real. And... They're just not doing a very good job of it today. Brett, man, uh, this has been an absolute thrill for me. Honestly, you were one of my favorite athletes as a kid. I, I remember my first ever Stampede wrestling in the old Edmonton Gardens, and I watched Grandma spitting on the guys as they came, and I was like, oh, my God, like, this is legit. It was unbelievable experience, and I just became a huge fan, and uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, continued success, and uh, we really appreciate your time. All right, well, I, I miss Edmonton. I hope I get up there again soon. Awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, Brett, the hitman heart. Oh, man. What an absolute beauty. I know we ran late there, but I thought it was totally worth it. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back, catch up on the Jason Greger Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We continue on. Jason Greger Show. Alongside Duane Gretz, Connor Halley. A big thanks. Uh, Brad Slater hooking us up with uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. And the text line at uh, 833-401-1440 is uh, fired up. Uh, 
Hey, guys, I've listened to Bret Hart a lot. I'm a huge fan. That's one of the best interviews ever. Great job. That one comes in from uh, Doug. Oh, I appreciate that, Doug. I, th- I thought Brett was, you know what, he's relaxed, he's good, and uh, I've always been a big believer in, uh, you know what, uh, when people say, oh, he's a bad interview, I'm like, well, maybe the people ask bad questions. That wasn't a bad interview, that was a good interview. No, he was he was great, man. Like, I was just sitting there with a smile on my face, just enjoyed listening to him. Like, I, I loved h- how in-depth he went on his favorite matches and explaining the different reasons why he liked this one and then that one. And, you know, even he said, hey, in Wembley, I lost, but if I don't, if I don't do that match, I don't think I'm ever a world champion because it just kind of grew his brand and stuff. Imagine wrestling a Wembley in front of 83,000 people. Like, how do you even top that? It'd be you quite can't. a thrill, man. Quite Unbelievable. Yeah, it was, uh, that was, uh, that was outstanding. So, uh, that's a positive Friday story right there, man. Absolutely love it. Uh, let's get to, uh, five questions brought to you by the brick. It's the final weekend of the bricks tent sale. They're coming down. So now you can get up to 70% off the original price on clearance items in the tent. Stop in this weekend at the brick and the brick.com. <laughs> It's time for five questions on the Jason Greger Show. All right, guys. Question number one. Riders Elk tonight at 730. Let's get a prediction of the final score. I said 100 to 3 last week, and then they (laughs) won. So I'm going to repeat my bet. 100 to (laughs) 3. Well, I'm expecting a lower scoring game. The first two of the season were low scoring. I think it kind of sticks that way. I think the Elks, you know what? They're on a little bit of a run. I will say they uh, beat Saskatchewan for the first time in three meetings this year. And they are victorious 23-19. to 19. Question number two. Darren Drager said on first up today that he thinks there's a chance Babcock's job could be in question, but he's not reporting or predicting it. Do you think there's any chance that Babs could be out of a job before even coaching a game in Columbus? Well, Connor, as, as we mentioned when this story came out earlier in the week, and and I said, I think there's a chance that everybody's telling the truth on what they said publicly. Because Babcock and Jenner only commented about the Jenner interaction. They didn't comment about anybody else. That's what I said. I said, well, what about the rookies? What about the young guys? And when Biznasty kept saying, hey, and he doubled down and I gave him credit. I know a lot of people were all like, ah, whatever. Like, I laugh when people say he's doing it for clicks. I'm like, he's the number one hockey podcast. I don't think he needs clicks. No offense. But um, I, I think they're going to take this very serious. I think his past will definitely be something that raises a red flag. And we'll see it. And, you know, because if you're a young player, this is a tough situation. Let's say you're first or second year player. And, you know, they're so they're going to say, well, what made you uncomfortable? What happened? And, you, and so if you really put it out there, it takes courage to tell the truth when you think, because, hey, that might mean that Babcock gets let go. And I wonder if it means he would get let go without pay. Right? Like, would this be a breach of his contract? So, yeah, I think there's a chance. I, I can't say how much of a chance because I don't know exactly. Like, we've seen the reports of asking their phones, putting on airplay, and showing all your pictures. Well, that's a pretty significant invasion of privacy. I tend to agree. I think that he's from a different era, and I don't know how well that era is going to play going forward. Yeah. And like, I don't even know why. Like, what era are you from? Like, that's well. Back in the day, coaches could play a much harder line with athletes than they can today, right? And the the carrot and the stick motivation. I think when Babcock's era, if it's not today, there was a little bit more of that. And I don't, I don't think that plays with today's athletes. Yeah, like it just looks like it's kind of mental um, intimidation. And I'm just like, how do you think after all that's happened, all the stories that were made about him, 
if these allegations are true, why would like people don't change their stripes? And I know no. it's because it's hard to fathom. And there's one other thing I do want to say about this. I saw a lot of people. Oh, Biz Nasty doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll say because people don't want to believe that people can do horrible things like what Babcock did. And for a second, take a step back. And now think about somebody who's a sexual assault victim and why people don't believe them. People didn't want to believe something as simple as taking your phone. You're not going to have long-time emotional scars over that compared to somebody who gets raped, right? And think about how, how rape is, and that's something that's revoltingly bad to have happened to you and people don't believe. People didn't want to believe that Babcock did this, and it turns out he might have. Question number three we saw on Thursday night football last night. Justin Jefferson fumble out of the end zone. Resulting in a turnover, we see people immediately on social media on both sides saying that's the rule. Don't don't reach out. Some people think it shouldn't be a turnover. If you're the commissioner and you can make the rule, are you changing it or are you leaving it as is? I'd leave it as is. Continuity. Yeah, it's hard for me to want to change it. Why? Like you know the rule. <laughs> it's 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 a fumble. Like you know going in, there's a risk if you do that, and it's unfortunate. But that's a rule. So, no, I'm not changing it. If the NFL is going to monkey with the rules, they should be adding in rouges because that's gangster. <laughs> okay. We, we know teams are uh, coaching not to reach for it. So, yeah, totally agree. Question number four. Since we just had Brett Hart on this show, and his finishing move was one of my favorites, the sharpshooter, which submission move in wrestling do you think is the most effective? People's elbow? Is that a finishing move in wrestling? Oh, yes. Not a, <laughs> not a submission hold, though. Oh. Um, I would, geez, which one was the favorite? You know what? Like, I think the sharpshooter, if I'm not mistaken, cons, I think it was voted like the best submission. Was it not in, in like, was it Rolling Stones or something? I could be wrong on that. Um, but I like, I always liked Walls of Jericho. So yeah. I'll go with Walls of Jericho. Now, I can't remember what it was called. Um, if it was Dream Sleeper, I know that's probably not it. But uh, Ted, B. Ted DiBiase had a pretty cool one. So I always liked uh, the Steiner recliner just because the name was fantastic. Uh, and yeah. Well, it, what, what about, remember Ravishing Rick Rude? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, Jimmy Superfly Snooker, man, when he would fly off the, off the top ropes and be like halfway across the ring. Whoa, that was another good one. But I got to remember what, the, what uh, Ted DiBiase was. I got to look it up. While you do that, we'll get to the final question, Hypothetical Friday. If you saw aliens, but you had no proof to prove that you actually saw them, would you tell people? Finally, something I can weigh in on. I have seen aliens. I do have proof, and I'm not telling either of you about it. <laughs> Gregor, go on. Uh, people are going to look at you differently. Well, hey, think about it. I, we, I just told the story about people, there are certain things they just don't want to believe. Right. And so some people are like, and I'm probably like, if someone came up to me and said, Hey, I saw an alien. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't laugh at them. I'd, I'd, I would ask a lot of questions. I'd be like, Oh, were you awake? You know, like, had you been drinking? Like, I need to get to the root of things here first. Like, there's no hallucinogenic drugs in your system right now or anything like that. Uh, I know that there's, you know, there's people, some studies that say, Hey, aliens exist. I like, I'm not naive enough to think there's not another life form in our galaxy. Like that would, that would be rather odd to me. Um, I would say, like, which kind of alien, though? Because, like, is it an E.T. alien or is it, like, the alien from Predator or Alien? Because there's a very different style here. Like, part of me is like, I could meet an E.T. I think that would be okay. Now, do I want to meet the Predator or Alien? Not really. So that plays into it for me somewhat on what type of alien 
did you see? I think an E.T. could land at the White House lawn and moonwalk into the Oval Office and people wouldn't believe it. They'd say, that's not, I don't know what I just saw. I did not see the aliens. Well, though. people would nowadays, they'd say, oh, that video's doctored, which it might be. Um, so that's going to be the challenge now moving forward is when, when you see the advancements in technologies and how people can falsify things, you watch. There's going to be some video that shows up online. It's like, oh, my goodness. They're, you know, the abominable snowman or Sasquatch or whatever. And you can make it look real, but it's probably not going to be real. I think if there's an alien, I think it's a very different life form. I don't think the uh, like the Sasquatch or uh, Loch Ness monster. I don't really believe in those. You don't believe in the Loch Ness monster? Well, how would we have not seen it by now? Because it's swimming around in the loch. It's all deep. Yeah, well, we can go pretty deep. Could now. just be a big old eel. Mm-hmm. Well, Who knows? It might be an eel. A maybe, Scottish accent. Maybe it's like how long? Like how often? Does Fifty it live? foot eel. Is You'd- it the only one? Like is he not? Is he just lonely? Like there's maybe a crew he'd of them die of loneliness. Well, if there's a crew of them, eventually you'd see one. One would go solo and leave the lock. Mm, I would think so. No, maybe. Hey, the ocean is a pretty deep place, so maybe maybe he's hiding out. Is that Good who, question. Is that who that was a saw? great five for Friday. Mm-hmm. Yep, we'll see. Uh, let's get to the uh, con man and a sports center update. Brought to you by Edmonton Kubota. Super pumped that Sports Radio is back. So excited that right now, 0% financing for 84 months on all compact BX tractors. Shop online at edmontonkubota.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 